You turn again to that portion of the word that we read together. Book of Psalms and Psalm 50. And we may read from verse 16. But unto the wicked God saith, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes, or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth? Seeing thou hatest instruction, and castest my words behind thee, when thou sawest a thief, then thou consentest with him, and hast been partaken with adulterers. Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother, thou slanderest thine own mother's son. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, ye that forget God, and so on. It would seem here that the psalmist, um, we are told that uh, it's a psalm of Asaph. He is, uh, seems to be addressing the priests who were telling people how to live and yet themselves not being doers of the word. There were those who seemed to be just merely outward formalists, going through the motions, giving the sacrifices, meeting together, and yet their hearts not been right before God. They seemed to live that the idea that as long as the outward was fine, that God's commandments can be ignored as far as the heart and the life is concerned. And that God is easily pacified by mere religiosity. That comes across here as elsewhere in the word of God. But we are all friends, or whoever we are, to give an account to the one who has made all things. We have it in the very first verse, the Lord has spoken, called the earth and the rising of the sun and the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shined. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence, and so on. That's the picture we have of God. And it's a picture of God that the people seemed to have forgotten. The one who sees all things and in whose hand all of us are. Now, the purpose of the psalmist in these verses that we have read from verse 16 uh, onward is to rebuke that tendency to rely on an outward forum that outward forum that seemed to have been so much had come in into the church in the time of uh, this psalm being written. Now, friends, is that not a question for you and I tonight? 
whoever we are, how much of just an outward forum is in what we seek to do here. Gathered, grant you in God's name, but can that be true of us? Can we ask ourselves? Should we not ask ourselves? Have I come here simply in body tonight, but my heart not prepared to be engaged in worship with true communion with the Lord and true communion with my fellow worshipers as well? How much thought have you and I given to our gathering here this evening? What did you pray for? Did you pray before you came here? What do you expect when you come here tonight? So often, friends, we come, and in a sense, we can understand that we come expecting to receive. But should we not also come more than that, seeking to give praise and worship to God in our gathering? Now, the Lord knows our hearts, and the Lord knows his own true people. And the day will come when that will be very evident. The day will come when he will separate the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares. So, friends, it is not enough just to have an outward forum. It is not enough to, to, to be formalists in any way whatsoever. Let us beware just of giving lip service. That seems to be what we have in, from verse 8 onwards there. They were given their sacrifice, and they were there, and they were, as it were, accepted. But then what they were doing was just an outward thing. And as a God is saying, do you imagine just because you come with your outward sacrifice, just because you come in forum, that I, the one who owns all things, cattle on a thousand hills, are his. Do you imagine that I will be satisfied when I know what your heart is like? That's a solemn thought for ourselves tonight. God knows my heart and yours. And he knows how we've come to this gathering this evening. Now notice here it is not addressing particularly first and foremost, the outwardly profane. But who he is addressing is the outwardly religious. The outwardly religious. And friends, that's who I would like here to think tonight as I seek to address you here this evening. Bring the word of God to you. To do that here this evening. The outwardly religious. and. In a real sense, everyone here this evening is at least, I pray more than that for some, but all of us are outwardly religious. Isn't that why we come to church? Isn't that why we come to gather here together every Sabbath? Because we are outwardly at least religious. And so that is what we need to consider. And here tonight, then, that the psalmist is bringing before us here very clearly that that is not enough. And I would like, first of all, then to consider the sin of being religious, but yet wicked. 
verse 16. And to the wicked God saith, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes that should take my covenant in thy mouth? Seeing thou hatest instruction and cast my words behind thee. Now then, is this a contradiction? Being religious and wicked or ungodly at the same time? Well, sadly not. Sadly not. That can be in many of our gatherings, not just here but elsewhere. Here were those who were outwardly righteous in their own eyes, outwardly righteous maybe before the congregations, outwardly righteous before the people, but inwardly their hearts were not right. Inwardly there was a wickedness there. There was an ungodliness with them. They were destitute of the grace of God, despite all that it seemed. All from the outside looked so good, religious, but yet wicked is what we have here. It reminds us as well, when we went to the New Testament, we think of the Pharisees, how religious they were, how the people looked up to them, looked up to them, and how they went through all the motions, and they were seen to be these religious people, but they were lacking religion. They were lacking the righteousness of Christ, of course. And here were those also, surely, who did not have God in their heart either. You see, such may have plenty words to speak. Such may have unable to particularly uh, quote the expected biblical quotes as they go amongst the people, and pious utterances are heard from them. But very often, sadly, it is a case of do as I say, and yet their lives being something different. Lives not being what they ought to be. Their lives not giving that clear, consistent witness of being what they profess to be themselves. Well, you think that's an awful way to be, but dear friend, I suggest to you, with all due respect to you, such are still with us. Such are still with us, having an outward forum and the heart not right with God. Oh, they seem so right. They, they are those who we find they strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Everything is looked at in that way. But how are they really? What is your own condition tonight? Could this be said of you being hypocritical in this way? You might appear very conscientious and scrupulous in religious matters. And maybe somebody uh, who dots every I and crosses every T. But is that as far as it goes? Is this what is true of you? Oh, yes, so religious. Particularly so scrupulous about little things, especially about the little things. And ready to quickly find fault with others. Is that how it is? Is that something of yourself tonight? So many dear friends, I fear, and I speak to myself as well, but I fear that so many, like the formalist self-righteous in Sardis, in Sardis, who had a name that they live, but are dead. A fearful thing, friends. None of us should be, should be slow to examine ourselves. None of us should be slow to ask ourselves, how are things? How are things with me between myself and the Lord? 
friends said that, you know, somebody has said that while uh, the sad reality is that while Judas hanged himself, he still seems to have left a seed in this world to this day. Yes, friends, in our own circles. Yes, friends, in our own islands. Yes, friends, in our own denominations. We need to consider ourselves. Now, you might be thinking, that, well, that's not a fair thing to say. You may be thinking as well that you might even be offended at something I am saying here. But ask yourself, if you don't accept this and you think it's to do with someone else, ask yourself, why do you not like it? Why are you troubled by what I'm saying? As I'm speaking to myself, believe me as well. Is it your own conscience that's bothering you? Is that what's troubling you? Well, my friend, you have to accept it as I must when the word of God speaks to us. Some of us will remember, former minister, if the cap fits, wear it. That's what we have to do. Now, others of you might be thinking here, well, he's probably, probably speaking to that woman over there. I think he's probably trying to get at someone on that corner over there, that man there. These old people, these young ones, these elders, these deacons, these members, and this one here and that one there. But my dear friend, before you think like that, consider the words of the Lord Jesus. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considers not the beam that is in thine own eye? Far too often, friends, our, uh, our complaints about others and finding faults with others you know where it comes from? Seeking to exalt ourselves. That's what's behind it so often. Seeking to make something of ourselves. And we look and try and find faults. And we speak in that way. Oh, we're so religious. And we wouldn't do that. And we wouldn't say that. We'll look at that later on. Then it's better for us all to take stock of our own lives. And I speak to you here this evening, take stock of your own life now while we're still on mercy's ground. Take nothing for granted about our standing before God. Dear friend, the danger of not being humble enough to acknowledge our need to be taught. Isn't that what we have here as well? Verse 17, seeing thou hatest instruction and castest my words behind thee. You see what it's saying here? Just not willing to learn. Not willing to learn. Not willing to accept the word of God. How often that is for ourselves. It doesn't suit. And it really, it really comes home to us, but we'd rather not think about it too much. Well, none of us are perfect. And how is it getting on to somebody here? My friend, if, I discover, if the word is speaking to you, accept it. And consider your own situation. Take stock of where you are yourself. We need to be humble enough to realize it. We need to acknowledge that we are not what we ought to be. Not one of us in pure pulpit. We need to acknowledge this before God. Isn't this what, what uh, the apostle speaking in Romans? Though therefore which teaches another, teachest thou not thyself? Though that preaches a man should not steal, dost thou steal? And that applies, of course, to the preacher of the gospel. It applies to you who are Christians as well, to all of us in one sense, saying one thing, 
but not living as we ought to. And so there is what we have here, the sin of being religious and yet wicked. Hard to believe, isn't it? But not really, if you know anything about your own heart. And then secondly, and takes to the second point, the sin of turning a blind eye when it suits. Verse 18. When thou sawest a thief, then thou consentest with him and hast been partaker with a dark rush. Now this may mean, it seems to mean something along the lines of personally benefiting from something someone else has done wrong. And in one way or another, you benefit from it. You consent, it says here. In other words, you go along with it and you keep quiet. And the question obviously must be here, as them here and to yourself and myself, why? Maybe, well, sadly, maybe because you know such sin as you see in someone else has been and maybe still is in your own life. Could that be true? Is that why sometimes you might find it difficult to speak about the sin in other people's lives? Because your own life is not what it ought to be. It is not what it should be. And so you find it hard to find fault with others. Dear friends, this is another area we need to examine ourselves. Or maybe it is simply because of who the person is. Friends, know what the Bible tells us. God is no respecter of persons. In other words, whoever it is, God is not dealing with them because of their status in this world. And if God is not a respecter of persons, neither should you or I be. And we should not hold back where necessary. We need to speak up, whoever it is. If we are as people, that should be true of us. That's not to say that, that, that we ourselves are what we ought to be. And you might be saying, no, but I find it hard to rebuke someone else. I find it hard to speak up to someone else. I find it hard to rebuke anyone. Indeed, friend. But that should only be if you are not personally yourself walking right with the Lord. And if you know that is sin in your own life that you have not dealt with. And yes, we need to take great care, especially when we consider our own failings in holy matters. But at the same time, we cannot turn a blind eye to sin. And especially those who are Christians here to one another, especially in office bearers and in their pulpit. We ought to be as God in that we also should not be respected of persons. If sin is there, it needs to be dealt with one way or another. Not at all saying here, and, and this is surely what it's all about, against trying to find fault and picking on things that are of no great con. They might be not right. But if it is only just to elevate ourselves, that's the danger. Friends, this idea of respecter of persons and saying nothing. You know what, friends, if ever there was a truth that we as a denomination should learn from in our history going back to 2000, 
is that not a sin? And you are respected of Persians. If we ever saw it, surely we saw it then. However, here what is taught then surely is going along with it. It's a sin of association, if you like, is what is being taught here. When thou sawest a thief, then thou consentest with him. How do we consent with him? By saying nothing. When you saw something going wrong, you say nothing. That's the danger that is brought before us here. It's what has been taught here. And then it goes on to see at the end of verse 18, and has been partaker with adulterers. Now that can be taken in a literal or figurative sense, surely. Because here now before us is the breaking and being guilty of the seventh and eighth commandment, adultery and stealing. So, friend, what about yourself tonight? Could this be addressing something pertinent in your own life? Could this be something from the word of God tonight that you know applies to you? I'm not saying you're actually, maybe, hopefully, or prayerfully not stealing, being accused of stealing or adultery, as literally understood, but can it be true spiritually of you? Is there a spiritual aspect to this for yourself? Are you stealing, as it were, from the Lord what would be his? Are you giving him the time that you should? Are you giving him time to read the word of God? Or is it just something that you can hardly bear to you read and just, that's it, I've done it? Are you giving time to prayer? Are you robbing God in that? Are you robbing God in your tithes and offerings? Are you robbing God in your worship? As we said earlier, are we just coming and going through the motions? Just having this outward thought and being religious and that is as far as it goes? This is what we're going to ask ourselves, friend. And are we committing adultery in this way? Is God not being given the priority in your life? And if he is not, then we're committing adultery in that way, spiritual adultery. He must be the focus of all. He must be the one we love above everything else. He must be the one we want to adore and to honor above anything and everyone else. So, my dear friends, we have to ask ourselves and not be afraid to ask ourselves, is this me? Is this me? Rather than thinking, well, that's got to do with somebody else. It really doesn't apply to me what I'm hearing here this evening. And so we see then, when thou sawest a thief, then thou consentest with him and hast been partaker with adulteress. The sin, friend, of turning a blind eye when it suits ourselves, maybe because the very thing that you see in others, you can't speak about it because it's true of yourself as well. It is a fearful position to be in. But then thirdly, we have it in verse 19 and 20. Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother. Thou slanderest thine own mother's son. Another sin, the sin of a loose tongue. Oh, the sin of a loose tongue. Here is a sin, I believe, that should make all of us 
hung our heads in shame. Who here is not guilty of this sin? And I believe this sin is in this congregation as much as anywhere else, because it's a sin, sadly, that's common, sadly, again, in the Church of Christ. And the Lord God is addressing here, first of all, those professing to be true believers, but they were only outwardly religious. And the reality, friends, also is, but that even sadly those who are true believers can also fall into the sin. This is not something we see in somebody else's life. This is something that is in all our lives. What a fearful thing that is. And I believe it is one of the most, most unseemly and unchristian of failings that we have amongst ourselves. And one sin that we often do not see for what it is. We think nothing or think little of it. As long as it's not found out, then it doesn't matter if we speak in this way. When speak against thy brother, thou slanderest thine own mother's son, thou givest thy mouth to what? To evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. That's what it is. It's a deceitful tongue. It is called evil by the word of God to speak wrongly against your brother or sister in Christ, against the things and the people of God particularly. And this is the danger here. This I really, what is it? It's gossiping. Gossiping. Gossiping about your fellow believer. Gossiping, making statements about them that you have no grounds for making. You know that you're guilty of that. And this causes such damage, not only to individuals, but how much damage it does to the cause of Christ. When the world hears us speaking about other believers, when other maybe weaker Christians hear some who are, who are long in the faith, speaking in derogatory terms about certain, whether it be members or elders or ministers or whoever, without any basis, without any cause to do so, rather than following the biblical injunction to go and speak to that person and speak to them and find out. Careless speech, friends, from an unruly tongue is a great sin. And you know what? There is not a single person, I believe, in here of the Lord's people who can claim, I can never be accused of that. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? D.G. Barnhouse put it very quaintly in this way. The tongues of professing Christians are often all too busy doing the devil's work. The tongues of professing Christians are all too busy doing the devil's work. How true, friends. And the other thing that is sure, our words, friends, are often the evidence of the state of our hearts. You can tell much about a person's standing by how he speaks and what he says. 
And so thou sittest and speakest against thy brother, thou slanderest thine own mother's son. So all of us, friends, whoever we are tonight, whatever our spiritual standing, need to be aware of this sin. Yes, and believer also, but especially here, Christian, beware of the sin of slandering your brother and sister in Christ without cause to, to say a word. It's not right ever to slander, but to speak foolishly and not to deal with it in an honest, godly way. It's a grief to the Spirit of God. It grieves the Spirit of God without question. And it's something that all of us have to address and to be honest with ourselves before God about such things. Giving your mouth to evil and tongue framing deceit. And that's what it is. It is a de deceitful tongue. Sitting and speaking against them, but thou slanderest thine own mother's son. Friends, the sin then of a loose tongue. But then finally, what is the usually the reason for such sin? Well, here we have it also in verse 21. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. And what was that? What happened? Because God did not deal with it. They thought, well, he hasn't dealing with it, so it's fine. Look on. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself. See, there's the problem. Usually the reason for such sin, it's a low view of God. It is not understanding who God is. A total lack of understanding of who God is. And friends, the reality is, is it not, that all sins flow from a defective view of God and his view of sin. That's what it all flows from. But you might be saying tonight, well, that's not true for me. I know. Don't say that I don't understand who God is. Don't say that I don't understand God's view of sin. You see, I know what my sins deserve. I know what they cost Christ for me. Do you, friend? Is it evidence in your life? Consider what we already said. Is it evidence in your life? Is it evident in your lifestyle? Is it evident in what you do? Is it evident in your thoughts, your actions, in your speech? Surely that's what's brought out here as well. And that's what we have to face, friends. The reason for these things is a low view of God, a lack of understanding of what we are doing, that we are sinning lightly, and particularly with our tongues. Oh, friends, beware. Beware of that. Beware of God's chastisement. Indeed, it may come with a heavy hand upon some of us to bring us, to bring us up short. It can be a sore thing. And it may be a very heavy hand, as I said, to bring us back from our ungodly speaking and actions. And you here tonight without faith in Christ, here you are tonight, never having confessed your sinnership. Why is that? Well, the same thing 
because sin is a light thing to you. If you understood anything of what sin is, and friend, don't either go away and think, well, he, he gave them the Christians tonight, he got on to them. Yes, indeed, maybe, because I could get on to myself. But don't make that think, well, it's nothing to do with me. It's got everything to do with you as well. Why do you not see what you are? Because you have a light view of sin. Why do you not repent of your sin? Because you have a light view of sin and a light view of who God is. And you say, well, it is not really so. Yes, it is. You see, how God views sin and the cost of his beloved son is not really a great consequence to you, a real consequence to you. And what is happening here? Because you are equating how God sees sin to how you see sin. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether, verse 21, such as one as thyself. There's the problem. Bringing God down to our level. There is the issue that is brought before us here. This is what is made clear in this word. You have a sin and you go on in sin. And some of us did sadly for far too long, thinking, well, it can't be that bad. God hasn't, as it were, struck me down. If God thinks this sin is a problem, I'm still here. What is the issue? But dear friends, just because he is silent for now, your thoughts are altogether such a one as thyself. What you are doing, unsaved sinner, is making ultimately your own will, not God's will, the rule of life. Your standard is set by yourself and not by the word of God and what God requires of you. You see, the natural man thinks God's nature is like his own. That's the trouble, isn't it, with somebody? You bring God down to your level. An unbeliever here tonight, that's the reality of why you are not saved tonight. Because sin is not a big thing with you, not as it should be. Maybe you are not seen as outwardly sinning greatly. But in your heart, how is it? You see, we read in the beginning, don't we? of the creation of man. What do we read there? God says, let us, triune, let us make man in our image. But what are you saying here tonight? Let me make God in my image. That's man's problem. He wants to make God in his image. And so those here, like in Aphos day, you say, we are religious. God will be pleased with us. We're always in church. What more will God require of us? Oh, my dear deluded friend, God may be silent for now, for now, but he's not deaf and he's not blind. There's a very interesting little word in this text here, a but in the middle of the text. You thought that I was altogether such ones, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Whatever you think, that he's just like you. Ah, notice that word, word, but, and what follows. Yes, friend, God is long-suffering for now. But I tell you, he will not be long-suffering forever. 
what then? He is tonight dealing with you from, as it were, the throne of mercy. But do you realize that you are but a single breath away from the throne of judgment? And the day is going to come when we have what we have here at the end of verse 21, where he says, you will set them in order before thine eyes. That set them in order, it is, according to the commentators, it is uh, military talk. It's the, the idea, particularly here, of regimentally setting things out in order. What's he going to set out in order before you? Your sins. Your sins are going to be set out there. That's the rea reality for you. Oh, whatever you think. But, he says, I will reprove thee and set, as it were, your sins in order before thine eyes. And when you are faced with these things, you'll realize. But you know what, friend? You'll realize then, too late. Too late for any then to repent of such things. Too late for any. There'll be no more thinking, well, I got away with that one. That's not it will be. What we read in verse 3, out God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before them, and it shall be very tempestuous round about them. Oh, the judgment of God, my dear friends. This is the reality of what is here. What a different view on that day you'll have of God. It won't then be thinking, well, it's just like me. What a different view you'll have as you see him there on the throne of judgment of the Lord Jesus there judging the world. So the exhortation here at verse 22, beginning, now consider this, ye that forget God. Consider it, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver you. There's deliverance now in the Lord Jesus Christ. But... The day will come. You who forget God, think about it. When he comes again, he will tear you in peace. What a picture we have here of how God is going to be. And so when that day comes, when God, as it were, you think, well, I'm not hearing anything. There's no great problems. These things are still done. And I kept silence, God says. The thought is I was like, like yourself. I kept silence for now. And the day is coming when he will not. And when he speaks next time, he is going to say some, to some, Come, ye blessed of my Father. But what are you going to hear? Depart from me, ye cursed. Into that place prepared for the devil and his angels. Oh, but you were so religious. You were so attentive. In the house of God, some of you listening in every week on a Zoom service, thinking that'll do. Is that all it is? I say to you, non-Christian here tonight, and professing Christian, think about these things. Let us not delude ourselves by our religiosity. Let us consider our standing. And you especially who profess to be a Christian here this evening, ask yourself, yes, I'm making profession, maybe for many years, but I do have the marks, the true marks of God. 
Is my speech always seasoned with salt? Are my thoughts pure and not sinful towards God and towards my fellow Christian? Have I been guilty of speaking out of turn, knowing that what I said was not really the whole truth? Have I been guilty of slander and I haven't put it right? Do I see sin for what it is? Am I a Christian? Have I come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior? But ever let us not think that God is like us. He is coming to reprove the world of righteous judgment. So what are we to do? Well, we've got to examine ourselves. When are we to do it? Now is the time. Now is the time for all of us. Let us think on these things. Oh, please don't go away from here tonight thinking, well, he should speak to himself first. I pray I have done. And don't go away thinking, well, I think he was talking to such and such tonight. Dear friend, the word is speaking to you and to me and to your neighbor and to the person in front of you and the person behind. It is a word that is applied to us all. Now is the time to be right with God and with our fellow believers. That's a mark of the true child of God. That's a mark of those who are not just formalists in any way, but are truly children of God and not just outwardly religious. Which one are you this evening? Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, how we need thy spirit that thou would convict us anew, indeed convert us as it were anew, in the sense that you would bring us again to our knees to confess our sins freely and to seek to live according to thy word and not according to our own imagination. Lord, protect us from ourselves. Help us to be what we ought to be, walking in the footsteps of the Saviour, and mirroring his word and his life, so that none would doubt but that we have been with Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.